Okay, well, welcome back, everybody. My name is Steve Jeffrey, and this is Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor is the headmaster of Grace Classical Christian Academy in Granbury, Texas. Uh, and I'm the pastor, one of the pastors, my apologies. I'm one of the pastors here with Pastor Jeff Neal at uh, All Saints Presbyterian Church in Fort Worth. And this is the second podcast we've recorded together. In the previous one, we talked about time mm-hmm. and Sabbath and eschatology, because eschatology is about everything. <laughs> uh, we talked about distraction, we talked about how to honor other people's time and how the tyranny to, of the urgent, the tyranny, all that kind of stuff. So we talked about that. What we really um, want to get up talking about now and uh, in perhaps in the next podcast as well, we'll see how this goes, see how you can tolerate me, <laughs> uh, um, is talk about education. Mm-hmm. Um, both of us are educators. Um, uh, as husbands and fathers, we're educators. Um, uh, we've homeschooled our kids since they were very, very young. That's awesome. You're a professional educator as a headmaster of school. You're a teacher. I actually teach um, a, a Bible and theology class here at Four Saints at the Oaks Academy, which is another classical Christian school, uh, mm-hmm. which has been just great. I love doing that. And, we, yeah. and, and that class combines with a class that we teach here for young people at All Saints, um, grades 7 through 12. So I kind of, I'm a teacher in that sense, mm-hmm. as well as being um, a teacher in the sense of being a preacher, a pastor. Um, but you are a teacher in the sense that you must have a really well worked out philosophy of education. and You must know exactly why you do all, <laughs> all the things you do. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, not quite. You know, <laughs> right. uh, I tend to be a little post mill when it comes to my educational yeah, philosophy. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll get figure there. it out in the yeah, future. Yeah, okay, well, this future generations. And, I, I'd love just to get our bearings. Why don't you tell tell us, um, tell me, tell them, sure, um, about uh, your own education as a young person, sure, um, and how your convictions about education have been shaped to the point where you're now uh, doing what you do at Granbury Classical. Yeah, yeah. I'll start at the end. Um, I was just having a conversation with someone um, about how I think in this culture. And especially with men, I've noticed it's so uncommon for people like us um, who have found something that is um, that we love, that I feel like God has created me to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I also I also get to be paid for it. Um, and I think it's you know, it's an unfortunate side effect of a, probably a lot of cultural things where it's like people generally just have a job for money. And not out of passion and you know i mean and that's that's will be a future conversation of another podcast she's mm-hmm. talking about the doctrine of vocation and and how that plays out but you know for me i don't want to you know you know go too much into this you know it'd be two hour long podcast but kind of backing up uh for me in high school um probably not a lot of people know this uh people who are closer to me know this that i actually i actually dropped out of high school yeah, <laughs> so I uh, dropped that on you. You should be a headmaster. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, you're thinking, oh, well, should, we should wrap this up. Uh, this, we tried. Thanks. Good job. Um, you know, and so in God's sense of humor and, and, and um, in God's timing, it's been kind of miraculous to see uh, him at work in my own life and just a constant running joke, I think, you know, and, and, um, and how God has orchestrated all of these things to happen. So um, I left high school at an early age, or early on in high school. It was it was it was a joke in and of itself. You know, government education 
um, you know, this was um, 03 is when I dropped out and uh, just kind of needed to get out of there. It was mm -hmm. a dangerous environment. I think Crowley, um, if you guys are familiar with Crowley High School, needed to be out of there. There was a lot of education that uh, was taking place. And I kind of just, um, you know, I left. I, I didn't have any interest in, in, in wasting my time. So did you do other education? Well, not for a while, you know, um, it would be, it would be a while. And, you know, I was kind of sharing with you earlier about how God, you know, kind of captivated me and brought me into the faith right. and uh, saved me. And, and, um, and there's a whole story there as right, well. Right, right. Um, but at some point, um, you know, God laid it on my heart to, to be in education, you know, and I resisted it for a lot of years. And, and there's a lot of fun stories to share there. I, I thought it was, it was a little too ironic, um, you know, and, and so I ended up going to um, a Baptist seminary here in town in Fort Worth, and um, and I and I came ac across a class uh, with a professor. His name was Dr. Ishrawan Mudliar. I shared with you a little bit mm -hmm. about his encyclopedic knowledge of Scripture, um, and he turned me on to uh, covenantalism in mm -hmm. general and uh, and Reformed theology as a whole. Yeah, at the Baptist that was back when you could be <laughs> Reformed at at uh, Southwestern. I'm just kidding. Um, I think if you're still allowed to. Thanks for that. We can edit it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so I started to become uh, familiar with this tradition of education, hmm. not just from a, uh, you know, a Greek and Roman um, perspective and the trivium right. and all the things that, uh, you know, modern uh, classical education inculcates, but really a deep sense of the same principles happening in, uh, you know, in, in Jewish, uh, the Jewish synagogue and right. some of these same principles. And so I, I tell people, prospective families and stuff like that, that, that we do share some methodology with the Greeks and the Romans, but really it's, it's, it's been in scripture the whole time. Right, right. Uh, nothing is, we're not, we're not trying to invent anything here. And the it is what precisely a, a, a classical Christian model for education. Or yeah. Model. Well, so not just the principles uh, right. of, of scripture that, uh, that our school and, and, and Christian education is built on, but then also uh, some of the specific methodological and philosophical um, focal points, you know, found in scripture in the, in the way that little Jewish kids were raised and then, and then picked up and codified by the Greeks and the Romans, you know, right. they, they did a good job at doing a lot of those things. And anyway, so I became, a, I, I became familiar with this and, 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 uh, in college and, and thinking like, oh, this is interesting. This isn't, you know, probably at the time I was thinking maybe the only thing that exists is government school. You know, I mean, if you don't know, you don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, then you have random seminaries and how does that play in and where's the church and all of this? You know, I mean, there's a whole podcast in and of itself, uh, seminaries and churches. All that to say, I became deeply convinced that education um, was what... Um, uh, would be a huge means of changing a civilization. I read um, uh, Henry Van Til's, uh, you know, his book on culture. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking, yeah, yeah, education is pretty fundamental here. And, yeah. and at that point, I knew something that I had ran from for a long time, that I had to, I was going to be in education, right. which was crazy. I'm not married. I don't have any kids and no job prospects, you know, a high school dropout, bit of a loser. You know, and it's great, you know, it's like, so I'm pursuing education. Mm -hmm. um, no business being in at, um, at the College of Southwestern, you know, don't know how I got in. Um, and it was wonderful to kind of look back on it and see mm -hmm. the preparation time there. And so then I met my wife. Right. Uh, do you want, do you, I was going to say, yeah. so you did a theological degree at Southwestern. 
And during that time or before that time, you 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 were con conscious of doing it so you could train to be an educator. Yeah, I hadn't formulated that. It was right. still there's some vague disjointedness. Of, right. okay. um, but I I started Southwestern because all I wanted to do was learn. I didn't mm. care about degrees. Uh, I just okay. was interested in learning. Right. Uh, I was going to chapels there before um, I even joined, just because mm. I to hear people speak highly of theology was <laughs> unfortunately pretty rare. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, and you know, it's, okay. And, okay. and so um, at some point, I met my wife, um, and it was great. You know, I was old enough to know that. Um, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste her time. So we talked about how we we're going to educate our kids. Mm. We talked about everything, politics, theology, um, all these different great things. It was, it was kind of like a, um, something of a, um, interview and, right. and I passed <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, so we were married 12 years. And yeah. So, um, as soon as I graduated from college, mm. um, Bruce Williams, some of you guys might know him. Um, there was an ad on the Southwestern job board for a, a classical Christian school in Podunk, Granbury. You know, I grew up going there my uh, my whole life. My cousins live there. And, and I was thinking, oh, there's a classical school in Granbury. That seems, yeah, it was great. Uh, probably out of the back of a trailer. Yeah, and it was yeah. another wide trailer. You know, it was a modular buildings in the middle of a right. floodplain. Wow. And yeah, so eight years there. I've uh, gone on my ninth year there now. Um, this is this will be my third year as the head of school. Um, yeah, pretty much covers it. Okay. It's just up to speed. And your own children are? Yeah, nine, uh, eight, and then I have a seventh month, a seven month old. Right, okay. And the nine and the eight year old are at the school? Yes. Um, yeah. And did you ever, well, have they always been at the school or did you ever educate them at home? Uh, no, they've, they've always, yeah, they've always been at the school. Right, right. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, I, I think if I look back on my own education and uh, I didn't drop out of high school, but <laughs> you win. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, maybe, but in the teenage years. But my, it's interesting just to think about Christian education from the perspective where I came from, where sure. it was just a, it wasn't even something that entered my head. I was raised in a church-going family. Yeah, that's um, great. Uh, uh, with 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 all the strength that it has, uh, although it wasn't a, we, we weren't a, an evangelical or reformed family in any sense. Sure. Um, my, my my stepfather in particular is a. Uh, devout um, and very thoughtful, uh, God-fearing Christian man. Mm, that's wonderful. And um, was a huge influence on me. And so I, I was, but it never occurred to me as a kid growing up. It, and this might sound strange to people who are watching this. It never occurred to me that there could be such a thing as a Christian high school education. Right. Um, sure. Same through university. I went through university, did a, a doctorate, uh, got married at the just start of that. And I was starting thinking about full-time Christian ministry. Yeah. And all the way through this time, well, my wife and I were going to an evangelical church, okay. um, Calvinist evangelical church, happened to be a Church of England church, but quite Baptistic in theology. I started thinking about full-time Christian ministry for oh, all kinds yeah. of reasons. Ended up at seminary where our first child was born a month after we arrived. <laughs> uh, and actually, it was a great place to have kids. And one of the reasons why was because there were lots of other families there going through the same sort of process of raising young children. And... And so part of that was we were thinking about education. Yeah. And we had always assumed, because the role models that we'd had as Christians, that Nicole would take a couple of years off work um, just to get the kids out of diapers, basically. Sure. And then we'd put them into a government school somewhere. And then Nicole would go back part-time and then probably full-time 
to work at where she would easily earn four times or five times whatever I earn as a And and that would be that we could give our kids the best kind of start in life that we thought we could give them. Sure. And, and it never occurred to us that there'd be any any reason not to do that. And uh, that speaks probably to the, the the narrowness theologically of the upbringing that we had. Yeah. Um, and it was at seminary really that I started thinking about the gospel of Christ and let's say the lordship of Christ as extending over the whole of creation right. and every area of human activity and every area of knowledge. So you end up with some form of presuppositionalist view of yeah. uh, epistemology. Um, and you, once you've got that, it's a very, very short step logically to say, well, um, if all of life is to be brought under the lordship of Christ, clearly it's not just that you have a Christian education by sprinkling a bit of Christian religious studies on yeah. top of your secular maths and history right. and geography. Or slap like a chapel. Yeah, yeah. or show a chapel service in there. Yeah. We do family worship at the start of the day. Right. We want our, the education of our children to be Christian through and through. Now, it's a very short conceptual leap. It is a huge uh, life change. Mm -hmm. in, and let's be honest, in 19 out of 20 cases for the wife. Uh, and in this case, my wife, Nicole, mm -hmm. um, and one of the reasons why um, I admire her and uh, other women who have made similar kind of choices that she's had to educate their children Christianly is because of the, this is a conviction that costs you something. Right. Now, I don't mean by that to imply that it's a cost people are unwilling to pay. Mm -hmm. It's a, oh, it's such a burden that I resent it. Not at all. Quite the contrary. It seems to be a, a, uh, burden that the mums of these very blessed children willingly take up and it's, it's just adds another another string to the bow of why I admire mums so much. I admire any mum who has a child and especially if they have two children because they then know what it's like the first time sure. and they go back for more. It seems to me like that's courage. And then a, a woman who says, well I'm going to devote myself to the upbringing of my children when all the pressure in the, the mainstream right. society is towards just put them into the government schools because we're the experts. Yeah. And I don't mean at that point even to um, uh, criticise in a sort of blanket way every teacher in a government school. I think there are some great ones. I, as it happens, when I was a kid, I had a great physics teacher, two great physics teachers and a couple of great maths teachers and a very good chemistry teacher. I'm very grateful for them. Um, I, I, I think I probably would evaluate, oh no, I certainly would evaluate that set of educational choices differently now, right? but as far as it goes, sure. they were great people yeah. and great teachers. Um, but um, everything's under the rule of Christ. Mm -hmm. Everything ought to be acknowledged as being under the rule of Christ and, and all those activities ought to be entered into in a Christ-honoring way, self-consciously. And so education is obvious. To show the connections between what we're teaching children mm -hmm. in every subject and the gospel of Christ, um, and sometimes uh, to challenge head on the specifically anti-Christian mm -hmm. ways of articulating educational truth or to challenge these more subtle narratives, especially in subjects like history, for right. example. Like what are the events you're going to focus on and what's the kind of tacit evaluation you're going to make of those uh, movements in history? Sure. Um, all of those things, you want to do that Christian. Okay, so we ended up at that point by the time our son was just a couple of years old. And so um, it was a huge 
ideological change for us both and a huge practical change from Carl. And yeah. so, so at that point, um, I should put the talking rather a lot, but I want to give you a chance to jump back in. That's but right. the, the one other step, we, when we started thinking about what particular model for Christian education are we going to embrace, we look around and we thought, okay, there's Christian schools, some of them look great. Well, we can't afford them, not sure. on a clergy salary. <laughs> no, because you know, the, the salaries aren't designed to support that. Um, and we thought that I would like to be quite mobile around the UK. Yeah. No, I was going to move into Texas 10 years later <laughs> at that point, uh, or 18 years later. But um, uh, so we thought, well, we're going to have to do it ourselves. Yeah. And so what do you do? And I stumbled upon an essay by Dorothy Sayers, The Lost Tools of Learning. Yeah. I remember sitting in the back garden of our house, reading through that paragraph at a time with Nicole, and yeah, we agree with this. Now, I now think there are some there are some historical claims in that which might be open to challenge. Sure. But since then, um, I think I've come to the conclusion that you could make a biblical case for many of the conclusions that right. she reaches on historical yeah, I agree. philosophical grounds. So we basically were persuaded of some form of a kind of classical Christian approach mm -hmm. to education that's at least being a reasonable way of doing things, not the only way by any means. So that's what we've done with our kids. And yeah. so our oldest is now 18. He's about to head off to college. Um, now, it would be really interesting. We should definitely talk about college, and sure. but let's not talk about it now. <laughs> um, and we've got two girls um, who are just turned 17 and 15. And we should also talk about, hey, here's a teaser trailer for next time or the time after, differences between boys and girls in education. Uh, because yeah. this is something we have been, like every sure. parent, all parents with uh, boys and girls, right. wrestled with. Uh, how your priorities ought to be shaped by yeah. the differences there. So, yeah, so I that's mean, where we've ended up. And just to give a subtitle to that little teaser, I mean, you know, one of the things I tell prospective families, every single yeah. prospective family is, uh, we want to train boys to be deacon qualified, to be, yeah. you know, and like we that. want to train women, uh, girls to be Proverbs 31 women. Mm -hmm. You know, and unfortunately, we live in a society right now that's a bit of a hot take, you know, and, mm -hmm. and uh, I mean, thinking through carefully how to inculcate masculinity and femininity in the classroom and the subjects and our athletics it's huge no, yeah, yeah. and then and actually college aspirations yeah absolutely it's come to that so um i would love to hear let's we, if we talk about education generally i think we can kind of take for granted um uh, education of a child is part of the upbringing of a child mm -hmm. uh, the upbringing of a child Ephesians 6 4 needs to be in the lord mm -hmm. uh, uh, the nurture and admonition idea and euthanasia, yeah, I forget the mm. words, but basically every aspect of the child's formation, right. including their education, needs to be Christ-focused and Christ-honoring. So we can get to the point of saying education needs to be Christian. Now, you're at Granbury Classical Christian Academy, right. so do you want to just articulate what, in your view, makes a, an education a classical Christian education? Yeah. And let's try and tease out what would be the best defense of that stance and what would be the strengths and weaknesses of it, weaknesses of it, and then what would be some alternatives? So give us your, your take yeah, on sure. what it is and how to defend it. Yeah, I mean, so distinctly and unapologetically Christian. Is right. the, I mean, I mean, with, with the, that, sh that should be obvious, but, mm -hmm. you know, it, it bears repeating over and over again, especially in a climate right now that uh, classical is very in vogue. Uh, you know, I mean, is it? Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, that's it, cool. It really is. I mean, oh, with these, um, you know, um, Sacred Heart schools uh -huh. and um, 
and you know classical is kind of the thing you know maybe 10 15 years ago it was college prep schools or, and 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 really i can't say this enough academics and all of these things they're a they're a waste of time if we don't have the foundation and right um you know we i tell people all the time we don't want to train really really smart atheists or really really smart pagans i mean uh the, the classical and so uh, the classical is only understood in light of um how it helps to explain or um shine light on to what we believe about right. scripture so you know you bring up dorothy sayers and you know, I love how she takes, you know, the, the classical methodology of the trivium, the grammar, the logic, and the rhetoric. Give us two sentences on that, because not everybody will be familiar with that. Uh, the, the trivium? Grammar, grammar logic. Yeah, so, how, how does Dorothy Sayers articulate Yeah, that? so um, you, the trivium in general is, is probably the most commonly associated term when it comes to classical. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's basically just a Latin word that means three roads or where the roads would meet. And, the grammar, the logic, and the rhetoric are um, associated with uh, stages of learning. Right. Yeah, so uh, grammar student, um, logic student, and rhetoric student are how the students grow into, um, you know, from from grades one through six is roughly grammar, and then uh, seventh, eighth being logic, and then ninth through twelfth roughly being rhetoric. And what Dorothy Sayers did that um, was was very astute and and something that probably is why many of uh, the classical schools now uh, carry carry with them, you know, that we are of the Sayers method, is to take those terms mm -hmm. and to associate them with how God had created the child to learn. Right. So they're not just simply, um, um, you know, topics or, you know, they're not they're not just curricular, but they the are in stages fact, of every subject. Right. Uh, and then, and then, and looking at scripture and how a student is uh, created to learn. So grammar would be, if you if you're doing, I suppose you've got something like history. Mm -hmm. Okay, you've got the grammar stage, the logical dialectic stage, logic mm -hmm. dialectic, and then you've got the rhetoric stage. Yeah. Talk, give us a sentence or two on grammar, yeah, logic, sure. rhetoric, and history. So. Right. So uh, she um, she would say, you know, and, and others would say that the grammar stage is is when the student has a tremendous capacity to memorize, to learn, right. to sing, to, to chant. You know, one of the things that we do that uh, not many classical Christian schools do anymore is we we catechize the kids. We right. do catechesis. We, we do Westminster Shorter. Uh, they sing, they chant, they, they're they taught hymns. Right. Uh, they have a, um, they're taught about 150 hymns by the time they finish. Um, you know, we want them singing Psalter. We want them singing right. hymns. We want, we want them to be good churchmen. Uh, the grammar stage is all about learning the facts and rules to pretty much every discipline. So it's learning dates. It's learning which kings right. came first, list of presidents, yeah. timeline, and important timelines, people, right. uh, events. Um, you know, learning scripture, memorizing proverbs, right. Right. all these different things. You know, just, and so, if, you, if you're doing it in maths, it's learning the times tables, it's learning right. addition, how to subtract, how to yeah. divide, doing everything on paper. Yeah, learning formulae and all right. these yeah. different okay. things. As so then learn. you move. Let's stay in history because it's uh, it may be helpful to sure. illustrate it. So grammar, you're learning dates, learning events, you're right. learning a timeline of history, you're learning who came after who, right. and, and so on and so forth. Um, you go to logic, what's, what's different there? Yeah, so you're taking that, yeah. uh, and then you're building, you're building around it, you're giving them the ability to, um, to argue well, to be persuasive, to, um, to take this and start to see the connections more clearly. Right, okay. Um, and, and so it's the why questions, right? It's so it's the, like, right. you got this president and then this president, right. and this president. Okay. Well, what did president two yeah. 
do and say that persuaded people to vote sure. for him and what were the political shifts and so on so that's the you're seeing the, the logical connections yeah. within history right yeah and in getting to understand understand the why i think is a really really important way to say it for sure is like why does this matter yeah right. not that that isn't a focus in the grammar stage mm -hmm. um it is it's just not the primary focus yeah, yeah. um but the logic stage that that takes um that takes precedent right there is like why and seeing the connections and seeing and seeing how um how complicated history is you know if we're staying mm -hmm. with history and um you know why why did the vikings sack when this farm and right and yeah. why you know what was uh Alfred the great doing and and why does that matter you know yes, um, yes, yes. And all done in a framework of of logic and reason. So this is why uh, many, many, probably most classical Christian schools start teaching uh, informal and formal logic, right? Um, in yeah. seventh, yeah. eighth grade, yeah. so give them a structure and a foundation to um, to you know to take this stuff in and understand it. Right. So they yeah. can they could start to understand both the, the logic of events within history, yeah. the implications, what we can learn from right. history. So then you go to the rhetoric stage, yeah. and you were hinting at this earlier, but there, this this is not so much understanding things from history, but you're now starting to articulate things, yeah. right? Well, how would that be? Yeah. So the rhetoric stage, um, you know, uh, Sayers will call the poetic stage, and mm -hmm. I actually I actually like that quite a lot. I mean, I think sometimes the word rhetoric carries with it a certain type of like, yeah, it's it's, right? It's a little it's a little too Greek uh, in that you know. We do want rhetoricians, but I'd like to define that term. Um, we want people who are, you know, the sermon in a sentence would be serve others well with the information and the knowledge that they've been given. Right. Okay. We want them to write, engage, um, you know, kind of, um, you know, infect the culture. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah. So thinking about how they can articulate, present. Um, right, right. Um, interact, you know, all all with the baseline of knowledge that they have, right. and doing all things uh, for God's glory. Right. Right? So this is speech classes as well. It's yeah. apologetics. Uh, so many many classical schools, you have to write and defend a thesis. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So you know, and 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 we do that as well right. as you know, some take some topic and defend it in front of you know others and have to have to be prepared to answer questions and stuff See, like that. And what was, I remember this intrigued me as well about Dorothy Sayers' analysis, especially when I first read it, which is it seemed to be a, a threefold framework that could mm -hmm. be applied pretty well across every subject. So take mm -hmm. chemistry, um, grammar, right. you're learning the periodic table, right. you're um, learning the formulae of common substances like sodium chloride and, mm -hmm. sure. um, and water and so on. And then uh, logic, you're learning how these substances react with each other. And, and there are whole families of types of reactions yeah. and types of processes that can be harnessed to produce certain products. So it's electrolytic processes and organic chemistry right. and inorganic chemistry, and how metals different from other substances and why are they yeah. different. So this is the logic. And then when you get to the rhetoric stage, you think, how do you do that in chemistry? <laughs> well, the answer is you're designing experiments right. to try to answer certain questions. Yeah or to accomplish certain goals. So let's suppose uh, you, you know how to synthesize a whole range of organic compounds. Well, how would you design a, an experiment to synthesize this compound, yeah. which you haven't yet done? Um, and in order to do that, you need to take all the fruits of the, the grammar, you, know, you need to know the basics, yeah. and then how, how things work in relation to each other. And then you need creatively right to put that knowledge to work in solving a problem that you haven't yet encountered. Yeah. 
And so I, I found that in every discipline, right? In every discipline, that. it's kind of interesting. Yeah. And now, what's interesting, just to then get back to how would we defend some version of this? Um, uh, and in, uh, just parenthetically, I want to say, and what in a minute I'm going to defend a bunch of alternatives. Sure. But if I wanted to defend against a critic, how we've sure. the, that kind of approach that we've adopted, I would actually try and do some biblical grounds. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than in the way that Miss um, Sayers did, which is to say, those three stages, grammologic rhetoric, correspond remarkably to the three historic, broad historic eras of Israel's yeah. development. That's interesting. Priest, king, prophet. Right. And this is a, a Jim Jordan insight, I think. Mm. And we mentioned him last time. Yeah. Uh, uh, priest. Um, was the office that dominated Israel's corporate life in the early days of their settlement and their journey to Canaan and their settlement in the land. Uh, there were prophets, obviously, earlier. Yeah. Moses was a prophet. Sure. Abraham was a prophet. Right. But, but there are priests there, and they are the focus of God's work among the stable corporate community. And when you're a priest, zero creativity is involved. Right. You just do your job. I mean, your job is specifically laid out word for word. So you get the animal, you bring it over here, and you put both hands on the head, and you press down on it, and then this guy prays, and then you cut the throat of the animal, and you pour the blood out over here, and everything is written. <laughs> right, the sure. to just just <laughs> learn the rules. Yeah. Priest. Now, the next office to predominate in Israel's life is the office of king. And the kingship reaches its kind of high point in the days of David, and especially Solomon. And Solomon is characterized by wisdom mm -hmm. preeminently. Yeah. And wisdom manifests itself in dealing in a wise tautology. <laughs> wisdom is characterized by dealing in a good and faithful way with a circumstance that you haven't met before. Right. So here's two women, they've got one baby, yeah. and they can't decide who it is. Now, there's no, you search the book of Exodus right. in vain for a law that shows you what to do. The application of principles, right. yeah. So you've now got to figure out how does human society work and what's the best way of articulating this. Um, so that's kingship is associated with wisdom and the wisdom books, um, uh, Proverbs, obviously, uh, Ecclesiastes, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Psalms, and so on. And that's the next office, which corresponds roughly to the logic stage, because you're starting to see how things relate in the real sure. world and the complexity increases. The third office, which comes into its uh, comes into its own, really, when the kingship goes off the rails, mm -hmm. is the office of the prophet and Elijah particularly, just strides onto the stage of history, <laughs> completely unannounced, yeah. and starts taking on King Ahab right. and telling him what to do. In other words, the prophetic office is, it's like the troubleshooter who comes along when the king has gone wrong. Mm -hmm. So it, it's taking one step beyond. It's not just, do you have the wisdom to govern this great people? It's, do you have the capacity to shape situations with your words, hence mm -hmm. rhetoric, right. prophet, rhetoric? shape situations with your words in such a way that you have a chance of putting them back on track. Mm -hmm. Now, it's just fascinating to me that, I mean, I think Jim got this bang on, that those three offices, uh, they're all present, even kingship is present in the early days, like with um, Melchizedek, and right. probably Job in some form. But um, in Israel's life, roughly priest, king, prophet, mm -hmm. which looks very like grammar, logic, rhetoric, yeah. and um, to the extent that the Old Testament life of Israel is a paradigm for an individual person, and I think 
you can make that argument that um, cosmic eschatology is mirrored in individual eschatology. Mm. Well, I mean, we should talk about that. Maybe, yeah, that's fascinating. Right? If you if if you make that argument, then you've got uh, a biblical warrant for, frankly, what seems obvious to us, mm. which is that little kids love repeating the same stories, right. chanting Greek verbs. I remember standing, bouncing on the trampoline in our backyard in London, <laughs> going, Luo, 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 I think kids. probably most people did that. Really? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're a bit weird, I suppose. Um, and, 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 but they get to a point where they're 12, 13, they don't want to do that. Right. Like, and, and what they want to do is start reading the text. And then if they get really good, they start wanting to write the text. Grammar, logic, rhetoric, you know? Right. Um, so, it's, it's there in Dorothy Sayers' claims about history. I'm not sure. I'm not a historian that could evaluate sure. that. It's yeah. certainly there in the Bible, and I think you can make a case for the, the cosmic eschatology maps onto individual eschatology. Mm -hmm. But anybody who's ever had a child yeah. knows that there are these developmental right. stages which overlap, but they sure. you do progress. So, and you have older kids. I mean, you know that probably at some point your kids started to be argumentative. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. And, and so the rhetoric stage right. is so, so naturally we equip them with logical fallacies and formal logic uh, to make them even more dangerous. Uh, well, with the hopes to, to so that they can see time. Yeah, to tame yeah, them, yeah. to see that once again, this is and this is something we talk about at the school right. often. And because we have to, because if mm. we don't, um, there's real temptation here in all yeah. of this is. Um, elitism and, and yeah. not serving others well with the, with the, with these so, things. So, so let me get on to that then. Let's let's spend a few minutes um, pushing back against the conclusions that have dominated my own family's life, mm -hmm. your professional calling. Sure. Um, let's try and call attention to, let's call it some of the uh, weaknesses or dangers of um, the kind of classical Christian approach. Right. And and let's just um, indicate briefly other things sure. that we've seen people do, which seem in some circumstances to work really well and have some great strength. So do you want to yeah. talk about any of the, the dangers or weaknesses? Yeah, I, there's there's quite a few. You know, uh, right. we, we were chatting earlier, we live in a world of trade-offs. Mm -hmm. And and I think perhaps this is, this could, you know, this is right up there with probably the most hotly debated thing in classical Christian circles is is to what degree, um, how wide do you go how, versus how narrow? And so, you know, I think one of the things that I would say is probably one of the biggest weaknesses is, is thinking that this is the only way to go. Right. Right. I, I not even close to think that classical Christian education is biblically mandated. Mm -hmm. I do happen to believe that Christian education is mandated. Yes, I think that's what your wife did. Uh, versus what my wife did teaching mm -hmm. pre-K at, at the school, um, Christian education. Let, it, let's go. Yeah, you know, yeah, homeschool. Yeah. You know, cooperative. Uh, five day. You know, whatever whatever mode it takes. Christian mm -hmm. education is key. Right. And and I have met some some of the best educators I've ever met are homeschooling moms. Um, I mean, and probably some of the most resilient, tenacious. Mm -hmm smart and well-educated people, you know, are homeschooling moms. And, and it's, um, and, you know, I might just say briefly, it, it's, they often don't see it. You know, mm -hmm. it's why, it's why, right. you know, it's one of the dangers of homeschooling is, 
is mom's on an island and yeah, dad is that with a comparison and yeah. and dad is abdicating his responsibility right which can happen in any form of uh, education but i'd say right off the top with classical christian education is the type of elitism that comes with this is this is how you educate we've figured mm -hmm. it out mm -hmm. we have the holy grail of education uh and that's just not the case you right, know right, right. we're recovering the lost tools of learning right um we're restoring civilization you know i mean it's it takes a while you know i mean um you know we we say all the time that our school doesn't exist for our kids it exists for our children's children and their children right and then believing that is is pretty key um you can't just say it you gotta believe it but right, um right. so elitism is right at the top and 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 that that seems to be one of the things and 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 who who do you educate you know how, at right. schools, you know, I mean, yeah. and we can jump into that. It's a little bit, it could be a little touchy. Well, I mean, I, I don't think it, maybe I, you might be thinking of something I'm not thinking about, but I think it, it we, we can just say straight up, look, if you, if you have a school setting or even a homeschool classical setting, both of those are likely to have a certain uh, academic level mm -hmm. that the class or, or the curriculum is driving a lot. And the simple fact is, well, twofold. Firstly, some children are going to struggle to keep up right. because there's a distribution of academic uh, aptitudes. Sure. And then secondly, um, that doesn't necessarily train you for everything. Right. And I think it's possible to look at this really positively. Suppose we say, rather than saying uh, some kids can't keep up with academics, say, no, hold on a second. The universe that God has made, the world right. that he's put us in, is so tremendously multifaceted, yeah. so glorious. There's so much in the world mm -hmm. to do, and therefore so much to know. Obviously, it is not possible for any one human being to be the kind of ultimate polymath and mm -hmm. get it all nailed. Sure. Certainly not by the time they're 18 out of high school. Right. And so what, what's, what's happened in the classical Christian tradition, such as it is, is that there's been a certain educational uh, paradigm, grammatical gram rhetoric, yeah. applied across a, a certain set of subjects, and we should probably get to those maybe next sure. time, um, with the result that those subjects tend to be taught, you know, really well. Yeah. For the kids who can uh, flourish at that particular pace. A kid who wanted to go much faster is going to get bored and frustrated. A kid who struggles to yeah. keep up um, is going to get frustrated for other reasons. Mm -hmm. And none of them are going to learn through that process by the age of 16 how to run a business or how to build a house mm -hmm. or how to run uh, a cattle ranch. Right. Now, and there have been and there still are many, many young men and women who have uh, an education which is more rudimentary, frankly, yeah. in what we might call traditional academic subjects. They're what we call them traditional. They're, they're only traditional within a, that academic paradigm. Sure. You know, math and, and science and uh, literacy and reading and writing. It's more rudimentary. Mm -hmm. um, but they know enough math and writing to be able to run a business. And they own uh, three houses by the time they're 20. Right. And two of them, they have refurbished and then they're about to sell them on. And I'm actually describing an actual human being who I know who did that. That's awesome. Right. And he didn't know as much physics as I learned when I was at high school. Sure. Uh, probably as much Bible uh, and theology and Greek and Hebrew as either of us 
Yeah, right? sure. So we didn't do know those things. And we've got to find a way of mm -hmm. saying um, it is perfectly fine yeah. and good sure. for parents um, to conscientiously and prayerfully and thoughtfully think, okay, what are our strengths? What are our particular desires? Sure. What kind of family life do we want to have? Yeah. Given the kind of people we are and the kind of situation we feel God has put us in, the resources that we have. Um, and therefore, what sort of education for our children is best going to fit with that? And for some, it will be, you know, we can afford to send uh, all of our kids to classical Christian school. Others, it's going to sure. be, no, we, we want to do something at home mm -hmm. um, and or we want to send them to a different kind of Christian school or we want to do a kind of classical Christian thing at home or we want to start a co-op uh, or yeah. we want to do something which is uh, deliberately less focused on academic subjects. Maybe we want to spend 20% of our time sure. doing music and singing. And, That's about what we do. Right, <laughs> maybe. Um, and and then we're going to do the kind of math and science. And then, sure. but two days a week, the kids are going to be um, working on the ranch, yeah. uh, or they're going to be learning skills which we think will make them a great mum and a great homemaker. Yeah. And I think we, we can all imagine pointing to the shortcomings of all those different right. options. Yeah. Yeah. But they could all be done excellently. Right. And the, the challenge, I think, for us is to, is to simultaneously say, look, there are all these different ways of doing things well, and all of them we could do badly. Mm -hmm. So how do we challenge ourselves, if, you, if you're going to take a particular route, to really do that well, which will probably also involve at some point having a look over here. Right. And what could I learn from them? So I... At a classical Christian school, say, how how are you as a headmaster? And this is not a question, but it's a hypothetical. Sure. How are you as a headmaster going to mitigate against the fact that the children simply don't have as many hours in the week to spend doing the really practical stuff, mm -hmm. the car maintenance, the running of ranch, the running of business, the the domestic and home skills? How are you going to mitigate that? Yeah. And maybe you just say, no, they can't do so much of that. Fine. And, sure. and let's just accept that that's yeah. a disadvantage. And I, I look at my own kids. Um, they are quite like Nicole and me, right? They're basically quite academic. Mm -hmm. And they are, they have really good skills yeah. and uh, academic aptitude. And I look at other uh, young people and understandably, they mirror their parents. Right. And their parents are different from me. Sure. Um, and that's reflected in their, in their yeah. kids. So, Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of incredible you know considerations in all of what you just said I think what what comes right up to the top for me is in all of those things all of it is proactive right yeah the entirety of the of our Christian faith and education and 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 you know the enculturation of our, our children mm -hmm. you know in, in teaching our children the paideia of all things you know that all of Christ is uh, for all of life um, it's all proactive. Yes, yes, yes. You know, and 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 I think individualistically, starting with the the proactive principles of Scripture and and it being Christ-centered and all those different things, you know, I can't help but think of um, your sermon last Sunday. So I mean, why why would you be preaching that sermon if if not for the edification of these believers? Mm -hmm. 
So that level of subjectivity is because you know your flock. You know, I mean, like, so growing up, I, I kind of thought topical preaching was, you know, that was kind of like 10 years ago. That was like for persona non grata kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, as I've grown up and in, in thought about it, it's like, why wouldn't you share a sermon that's, you know, exegetically sound, but it's, you know, but it's about a topic because right. you know yeah. your flock really well. Well, it's interesting the thing you, you highlight there, and this gets us off to how, how scripture relates yeah. to everyday life. Mm -hmm. um, I think that what I do in situations like that, this is the um, uh, introducing eschatology sermon, right? Yeah. Um, I think what I'm doing is expanding the text. Right. But, but the text relates to many, many different situations. Yeah. So I pick one of the situations I think is relevant for right. us. No, yeah. Oh, and, sorry. No, no, but, but uh, uh, and is that a topical sermon? I don't think so. I think it's an expository sermon. Yeah. But it's an expository sermon sure. where the topical application is okay. obvious. Okay. Yeah, sure. So now, how does this relate to education? I think um, we want to be able to uh, see the relevance of scripture in all these different domains. Right. The Bible is not a book about um, mathematics. Right. But hey, can we read scripture in such a way that we start to see in it yeah. its relevance to mathematics? Right. The answer is, that's got to be yes. And so this takes us back to where we started, I guess, with um, hey, we want our teaching to be suffused with yeah. biblical right. priorities and content. And I, th and I think that's kind of where I was going with, um, you know, all of these, these trade-offs and all these different um, Christian educational approaches. I mean, yeah. I think you learn, never stop learning, yeah, um, yeah. you know, um, making proactive decisions and realizing if we're doing Christian education right, everything is about everything. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and also, I think, you know, God individualistically looks at people, you know, yes. I mean, me as a father, I have to look at my children and see how I can uh, help them grow in these areas and, and help restrain them in these other areas, right? And so that's God's mercy and and grace. And you know, uh, to the to, to the point about how how do I as a headmaster, you know, I'm, as I think about that question, we do think about that question all the time. Is is I, I've, I've been reading this book called Simply Classical, right? Uh, and I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but basically it's about education for people who like truly have. Um, um, different different types of um, you know if they if they have autism or something like that right, and, right. and to to what degree what severity and how can we take these same classical Christian principles and apply them to them are they not are they not right, relevant right. to them as well well of course they are yeah. in God's economy in God's kingdom um, but how can we prioritize yeah and I think that's a huge element that 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 we we all want to consider right. over at Grace you know is is thinking how can we, how can we teach these kids and give them a liberal arts education, mm -hmm. but also round them out by teaching them all these other things. Right. Again, I would think of uh, did you did you ever read out of the, out of the ashes by Anthony Essen? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So something that stuck out stuck out to me in that book that I thought was phenomenal, especially for me. I, both my grandparents died before I was born, and or grandfathers rather, is he made a point. He said there's so many things that your grand your grandfather knew. That no one will ever know anymore. They're just—it's mm. just knowledge that that for the for the next couple of generations might be lost. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and and I think about that all the time as an educator is yeah, yeah. is because we this is a trade-off. You know, when I'm teaching them 
you know, so I teach Latin in the upper school. When I'm teaching them Latin, what am I not teaching them? Right. So this whole question about trade-offs, I, I, what I'd like to do is to come back and do another session. Yeah, sure. We'll have a break for bathroom stock, more coffee, and then you don't have to wait another week to hear from us. But, um, but uh, this issue of trade-offs in relation to subjects, because mm -hmm. you can't do every subject right. to, every depth, to the same depth. Right. Um, trade-offs in relation to um, terminal priorities. Right. So are you trying to max out the liberal arts, philosophy, literature, theology content right. before they get to 22? Or are you going to say, you know, no, there's a, a benefit in vocational training, mm -hmm. uh, engineering, right. STEM, um, uh, or more practical things? What, what age is it okay for right. a kid to say, oh, I want to be an air conditioning yeah. maintenance guy. I want to go off and try to do that. Right. When can I go? Um, so we work on those trade-offs. Yeah. We should think about um, boys and girls. Yeah. Because they're different. Huh. Wow, it's <laughs> crazy. Um, but what, but, but uh, those are, let's talk about that next time. Yeah. I, I want to just pick up on something you said. Let's talk just for a few more minutes about this. Um, Anthony Esselin, Out of the Ashes. There's that moment in there, I think it's in Out of the Ashes, when he's, when he's talking about all the kind of gender confusion. And he was writing a few years ago. Right. I don't really think now. Yeah. And, he, and he says, uh, a cow is a cow and not a bull. Remember that bit? I think, I think that's a quotation. I, yeah, I don't remember it, yeah. but I don't have but, but, it memorized. But point, I don't have it memorized, <laughs> but I think that's stuck in my mind. Now, I think what the point he was making is there is a certain kind of wisdom that comes from being in contact with the physical world mm. uh, that you cannot get right. just from books. Or to, or to put it another way around, put it negatively, some of the silliness that we're seeing in um, the higher education space in the last decade or so right. could only exist in higher education <laughs> because it can only exist in a context where ideas, from the real ideas world. are detached from the real world. <laughs> yeah. And if you had, if you had, if you had spent your childhood, so this is back to the, the, the strengths of, sure. of a broader education. Uh, if you had spent your childhood um, milking goats. Yeah, because you, you just live on a, a little mini hobby ranch. You've got two acres because you're you know, out in Texas somewhere. Yeah. You got, or even if you've just got like gerbils yeah. and there are male and female gerbils, right. right? Or any kind of contact with the animal sure. kingdom. If you spend your childhood milking goats, let's say, and you go to some community college and they start telling you there are 58 genders, <laughs> you know, you're not going to need to produce a complex but academic. Are there are two goats. <laughs> <laughs> you're, gonna, you're not going to need to produce a complex academic yeah, argument sure. against that. Because there are, there's a certain disposition, a certain orientation to yeah. the world, which is um, imposed upon you if you're actually in contact with the physical world. Mm, yeah. And I, I wonder if, if, again, if we're just critiquing ourselves, and I, I certainly critique myself as a, a homeschool, more or less classical Christian educator. Sure. Um, I think um, we spend a lot of time in books, and our kids. I, therefore, I've done pretty well sure. with the books. Um, they don't think they've ever milked a goat. Mm. And, and so they have a kind of academic slant, but they don't have the intuitive inoculation against some of the most ludicrous silliness of mm. our age. Yeah. Conversely, if my son shows up at college, he's going to um, uh, UT Dallas next okay. in, in the fall. If he shows up there, 
he may find himself in company with classmates who've done more of our practical stuff but haven't done so much calculus. Right. So we're in the trade-offs again. Right. And I think what it speaks to is, um, from a theological point of view, it's like, look at the wonder of God's creation. Right. Like, we, there's so much to explore. From a pastoral point of view, it's give yourself 100% to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's be really careful before we go criticizing what somebody else is doing just because it's not like me. Yeah. And because there are probably strengths to that. And at the same time, I can I can afford to criticize myself and think, what could I learn from what you're doing? And just pastor even within a congregational context, thinking of the pastor, there are a few things with the potential to cause more angst in a congregational setting than disagreements about education. Mm-hmm. Like you really could sure. amp up the intensity of, of the arguments. And that's the last thing we should do. Because what, yeah. what I just speak personally, what we've got here at All Saints is multiple different ways in which parents are, are trying to educate their kids Christianly. Yeah. And I want to encourage people to um, really self-critically evaluate the strengths of what other people are doing. Yeah, sure. I see somebody else's kid who's just great at um, speech and debate or yeah. is academically really flying high or has got some fantastic practical skills. Well, where are your kids less strong? Where are you as a uh, parent less strong? Right. Where Where could you afford to grow? Because there is there is infinite headroom yeah. to, to grow and to thrive. And we don't want to just be defensively trying to yeah. fight our own corner when really what we should be doing is trying to make the best use of all yeah. the opportunities that we've got. I mean, I, I, I fundamentally believe that one element of Christian education should be a communal approach, even if you're homeschooling or doing a cooperative. Really, in my view, all Christian education is cooperative. Yeah, even if it's not intentional. Even, yeah, um, and and it's certainly an area where I want to grow in. It's certainly mm-hmm. an area where uh, you know I don't want to necessarily speak on behalf of the board at the school, but that I know <laughs> that I, uh, I, I do uh, know that the heart of them is to see that we truly. Uh, um, uphold, you know, paideia and, and teaching the kids in all these different ways. And so some of the, some of the momentum there, and, you know, part of the reason why I was so excited to talk about this and, and then in the next episode about vocation is just thinking about how can we give more of that hands-on? Because what's the point of knowing all these different things about scripture and Greek and, and whatever, whatever, but you're not going out and sharing the gospel. Yeah, like what's, yeah. what's the oh, point? Like, you know I mean? So so God walked with Adam during the day, right? But he also, a gift of his was to, to work the land. And, yes. and when, he did, when he did good work, he was awarded more work. And, and I, think, I think the principle I think um, that I'm walking away from being reminded of is that at, if any point your education is not in the service to, a service to, to others, and it's, then it's not true Christian education. Okay. If it's not in the service to others, the church... Or the community, then it's not. Then, then there's a component of Christian education that's missing. And so, one of the things we've talked about is how can we over the summer, because you know summers don't exist. Uh, I mean, what is that? Um, year-round school? Just kidding. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Christ classical, yeah. extremely relaxed. <laughs> you know, but one of the some of the things we've tossed around is how can we do um, like projects over the summer? Right, and, okay. You know. Woodworking. Um, there's one of the guys at the school owns a cabinet business, and and maybe some of the kids can can learn some woodworking. Right. I've talked to Warren Haskell here, at All Saints. Like, 
maybe they can come learn how to run a ranch, you know, and actually maybe milk a cow. I mean, he doesn't have dairy cows. Right. Maybe slaughter a cow. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, but but this, this, I like that because what that's effectively doing is saying uh, we've not got it all nailed. Um, there are gaps in yeah. the experience and the education we're giving to our young people. Hey, but there are gaps in our timetable. So let's fill them with something. Yeah. No, I think that's good. And I think, I, I, I guess the, the weakness of, of a, a, a very general principle, like it, in, is it in the service of others, is it's, it's very generality means it's not necessarily going to sure. be a great discriminating principle, but it's certainly a great way to interrogate your motives. Right. So here's, yeah, sure. You know, almost anything can be turned to the service of others. But equally, other things could be done for self-aggrandizing or just right. self-indulgence sure. reasons. And so there's a personal component to this. You know, am I trying, you know, you, are, are we trying to train for the right things? Um, are we managing to inculcate in our children mm -hmm. the thought, you know, yeah, you do need to do your sure. math homework because at some point you've got to support family. Yeah. <laughs> Learn your long division. So, right. You know? Um, <laughs> And and that that long term perspective, I mean, it's just practical eschatology, and yeah. it's, it's tremendously motivating if you can enshrine it and get it as part of your yeah. You know, just... So I think in summary, you know, uh, one of the things that I think is important for us to to keep saying, especially in classical Christian circles, and maybe in with with a weakness, but also a strength, is is uh you know so uh, Jim Jordan brought up in one of his articles about um, you know. So, you know, he was talking about um, Christian education, and, and I think this is a valuable insight and edifying for any of us who are adopting uh, classical methodology here and there is we're not trying to restore civilization back to Western civilization, some sort of golden era of mm -hmm. where, where we say would be like the golden era of Western civilization. That's not what we want. You know, in God's sovereignty and in his plan, we're... we're our trajectory is up and out. Yeah, it's forward. Not back. Learning from the past. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's you know, and so thinking about, you know, we want to learn from the mistakes and we want to learn from all the successes and all the, the yeah. different ways that God has made himself manifest in, in all periods of culture, even the dark ages. We don't, we're not allowed to say that. Yeah, it's medieval period. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. You know, and, and all these different things so we can have a new and better Christian civilization yeah, right. in right. the future. So. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, I think that probably wraps us up. All right. Well, we're going to come back next time, yeah. and we'll talk about um, uh, we're going to talk about these trade-offs. We'll talk about trade-offs between different subjects. Mm -hmm. um, we'll talk about trade-offs uh, between different goals, vocational goals. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about um, male and female. Um, uh, we'll talk about uh, the the practical, hands-on, nitty-gritty versus the academic. And we, mm -hmm. what we'll try and do is is to think through some of the uh, strengths and weaknesses, some of the principles that ought to apply. Mm -hmm. uh, can we can we draw any really really firm lines in the sand and say, okay, well, this sort of thing would be a bad idea? Mm -hmm. And then as we're looking at a range of uh, possible good options, can we identify some of the strengths and weaknesses of those things? Yeah. Um, just to help people think through their own educational choices for their children. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, hopefully that'll be good. Yeah. We'll come back. We're gonna have a break for a few minutes. We'll see you next week. But for now, Lord bless you. Take care. Thanks. Bye.